Welcome, friends, family, acquaintances from all around the world. And all five of our listeners. Yes, we we've grew increased from, from three. Yes, to five. It's it's growing steadily. Well, welcome, genuinely welcome. It's good to have you back uh, for another episode of Dead Men Talking. You know, we all probably ought to remind people where we got that name, right? Dead Men Talking. Right. Yeah, I guess it's probably been a couple of episodes. Uh, the idea is that we are dead to ourselves. Uh, we are alive in Christ. And being dead to ourselves, we are now talking, and our desire is to talk uh, to the glory of Christ. And so that's what we do. Uh, we look from a biblical perspective at issues of the day. Yeah, cool. Uh, so what's going on? How's things? Uh, any exciting uh, little anecdotes from your week this past week? Oh Well, you know, Monday started off well. We had a leak in a bathroom that Sweet. was uh, dripping all over the place and pouring water. And our dog got out of the house and disappeared for a short time. So it's just Monday. A day in the life. <laughs> a day in the life. It's just Monday. Hey, those are not huge issues in light of everything no, else. Life's pretty good if that's it. Life right? is very good. How about you? Yeah, no, not much. Just working, and uh, that's pretty much it. Hadn't done much to too many things exciting this past week. Just, Had to work on a holiday. Yeah, I worked a little bit today, not much. Worked for a little bit this morning, and uh, going to work on uh, our service Sunday here this afternoon. Get ready for that. Very good. Cool. So uh, what are we talking about today? Well, yesterday in the service, um, we addressed the issue of the mind, of making up our mind for Christ. It was a little different than normal. Uh, normally, I'll take a passage and just go through it expositorily. Uh, it was more of a uh, topical, uh, systematic kind of look at the idea of the mind, a little bit about um, you know the framework from which the human mind begins uh, in opposition to God. Uh, some of the things that come, the fruit that come from that, and then what the answer is, uh, having the mind of Christ and a couple of steps before that. So yeah. I kind of wanted to continue some of that today uh, to kind of expand on some of the parts of it that I just kind of breezed through uh, that may be uh, a little more talking about how did we get to this point uh, as Americans, this mindset. You know, I think uh, we have... Uh, kind of a default mentality that, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with my mind or those people are out of their minds. <laughs> and, and neither one of those is probably a good way to look at, you know, how do we, how do we conform our mind to Christ? Right. Right. Uh, you know, that was, you mentioned that we probably need to do an episode on this one day, so I'm not trying to get too far off track, but that was a topical sermon. And that is something that's kind of unusual for us here at Stock Creek. Typically we're, uh, you preach expository, you know, take a text or preach through a whole book of a Bible or, a, but that's really good sometimes having a, a topical sermon, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like having uh, donuts for breakfast, maybe. Maybe that's a good analogy. You don't want to do it every day. It's not the healthiest way uh, to live, but it's, uh, it's certainly nice not destructive. Up. Maybe that's a terrible way to look at it. But. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of churches that that's pretty much all they preach is a topical sermon, different topic every week, right? Yeah. But that would be actually a pretty good, just to talk about the, the from a philosophical uh, of 
expository preaching versus yeah. topical. So yeah, we should do that someday. Yeah, back on subject though, we're going to talk about uh, acquiring the mind of Christ. Right. And kind of how do we get to where we are? Yeah. When, when we talk about mind and obviously in a sermon, I didn't have a lot of time to talk about anything like this, but uh, the human mind has certain aspects of it and the way it works. And, you know, there's a billion and two different ways you can talk about it. But one of the most fundamental things about the mind is that the mind is designed for self-preservation. Of course, that, like everything else, has been corrupted by the fall. Uh, but the mind has this idea of self-preservation and self-propagation. In other words, to carry on the species. Uh, so there's this level of the mind that works on instinct. Uh, you know, just boom, just this animal, the lizard part of our brain, if you will. Uh, and how it reacts to stimuli around it. And then those things that are instilled. So, you know, some people are deathly afraid of dogs. You know, I want to go roll on the ground with a dog, let it lick me in the face. Some people are scared to death. So there are kind of instinctual or reflexive things that kind of are instilled in us from different things. So every human has those aspects of a mind. Uh, the other part are pieces of information, knowledge that we gain. Um, and that doesn't necessarily imply that the knowledge that we gain is correct. You know, what was it Ronald Reagan said about our liberal friends? He said, he said, it's not that our liberal friends don't know anything. It's just that they know. Well, how did he say that? I, like, I shouldn't even bring that up because I've messed it up. Oh, he goes, it's just so much of that. What they know is not so. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that there's facts and bits of information in there doesn't mean they're correct. Another part of the mind is our categories of right and wrong, our morality uh, that are shaped by our upbringing, our peer groups, the culture around us. Uh, but you can put that in the category of beliefs. Uh, what is our faith, if you will? Uh, some people say, well, I'm an atheist. I'm a secularist, so I don't have a faith. Oh, yes, you do. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you have a faith, and that faith, that belief system, that structure of morality dictates how you live. And then tied into all of that with the mind is our goals, our aspirations, and our priorities. So you take all of that, you take this instinctual part of us, the pieces of information that we gather along the way, how we develop then a framework of right and wrong and morality, and then we tie all that into our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, what we want to be, what matters to us. All of that is a worldview, and then we live by filtering everything that we come in contact with through that prism. So that's our mind. Now, for the Christian, our goal is to have the mind of Christ. So if we can understand kind of some of what the mind is, it's all of those things, and it's how I bring all of that to life. And now as a Christian, my heart, my mind, my soul is been radically has been radically transformed so that now I'm supposed to look at life, my mind, everything, through this prism of Christ. And so how do we get there? That's kind of what we're Okay, so I guess, so we're going to figure out how we get there. I guess we need to find the starting point. So we start with a with a unregenerate heart, uh, depraved human being mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, what I referred to yesterday was Genesis uh, in chapter 6, the, the account of Noah. I, I'm always very careful, by the way. Here's a little side note. I, I try not to, when I'm referring to Scripture, say the story of Noah. Uh, there's too much already of this idea that, you know, this is kind of like a storybook story tale. Book. Right. The account of Noah. Again, I'm a nut over words. but So the account of Noah 
and the sin that was there. And, and of course, most people are familiar with the idea that the that what was being said there was that uh, the sin was great in the earth and that every thought and intent of the heart of man was only evil continually. And uh, to explain that, I went into it a little bit yesterday, was the idea that is man as bad as he could possibly be? You know, those that argue over total depravity, they uh, they are quick to say, well, that doesn't mean that man is as bad as he could possibly be. That means we all just wake up in the morning, uh, you know, kind of like that movie series, The Purge. We got, we were just going to go out and do whatever it is we want to do. We have free reign. Well, uh, to say that our thoughts are only evil doesn't mean that. It means simply this. My thoughts are not directed through the prism of the character of God and designed for the glory of God. They are very temporal. Uh, they're very self-serving. They're all those things. That is evil. So all of man's thoughts been on that. Why? Well, the fall pride, desiring to be in the place of God when it comes to the direction of our lives. And so because of all that, our minds are twisted. And then people say, well, that's Old Testament, Old Testament. No, in Titus uh, 1.15, what we saw, and, and I'll just read that, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. So there's that link. Uh, lost man is the same. And that's everybody apart from Christ is exactly the same as the condition that men were at the time of Noah. Every thought and intent of their heart is evil, not because it's as wicked as we could imagine it, but because it is not subservient to the will of God. Right. It's it's uh, self-serving, right? Uh, it's about me. It's almost like so. So we as humans were created in the image of God. But because of uh, the fall and the evil, it's almost like we try to recreate that backwards. So we try to create a God that's in the image of man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, know. yeah, we, we create our own image exactly right. And then we kind of say, well, God must be like that. Right. Uh, that's how I think. And so, therefore, God must be like that. The old phrase, you know, well, my God is like this or my God is like that. And you're right. <laughs> you know, like you said, yeah. you created him. You're exactly, <laughs> you know your God better than anybody else does because you made him up. Yeah. He's like Bob, the imaginary friend that, you know, every time you play Cowboys and Indians, Bob always gets shot. You always win, <laughs> you know? So, yep. So, uh, man is. Uh, inherently evil uh, as far as our desires, our thoughts, uh, our mind. Yeah. Uh, so where do we go from there? Yeah, the mind through which we look at everything is shaped by us. Uh, those instincts, those all those directions, those uh, measures of morality, all of that, that's us. And we also saw in Romans, you know, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 28. I mean, if you want to see the condition of man, how we get there, that's it. Uh, because we suppress the truth, we don't defer to God. Again, I don't want to totally re-preach the sermon. Go to Stock Creek Worship on YouTube, and you can see that sermon yeah, if you want to do that, but uh, a diminished view of God, uh, twisted and warped in our ways, and a refusing. And the thing that's really amazing at the end of that, uh, the knowledge that God said that we have by virtue of the power of his creation, we refuse to retain that. So we cast all that out. Now, what I want us to kind of dig into a little bit more 
has to do with as Americans, how do we get, how did we get here? What is this American mind? What is the particular flavor of the perversion, if you will, of the mind? And again, I shouldn't use that word because when people hear the word perverted, they immediately go to the sexual. When I use the word perverted, I'm talking about a twisting of that, which is true. Uh, This, the way Satan uses scripture, right? He knows it, he spouts it, but he twists it in order to suit his own purpose and his own desire. So that's that's what I mean by that. So how, how do we get here in America? Well, you know, we look at our current landscape, I do, I think most of us, many of us do, and we say, what in the world? How can people think that way? Do they really see the world that way? How can they not understand any differently? So I always take it back to this. I said yesterday, uh, just in passing really quickly, I said that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not an aberration. She's the culmination. And I almost hated to throw that out there because, uh, you know, uh, that's probably where people kind of like, what? You know, she's the culmination of what our educational system and our the our business world, if you will, designed to make Americans to be. Uh, that that wasn't an accident. Now, praise God. There's godly teachers, godly parents, uh, Bible-preaching churches that have stood in the gap and have caused a lot of that to, to not be as fruitful as what you would see in the, in, in the person of an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, she's the poster child for what was designed to happen. So here's what I mean by that. Uh, education in America when it started was for a couple of things. One, so that people could learn to read so that they could read the Bible. Isn't that an amazing concept? Junior, mom, when am I ever going to need this so that you can know God? Uh, That was really the mindset, the heart of the idea of someone needing to learn to read. And then along with that was kind of this idea so that you could be a thinker, uh, that you would be engaged with and come in contact with scriptures first and foremost, and then with the great authors and the great writers and the great philosophers of the day, that you would have introduction to those things so that you could think. I mean, that was kind of a mentality. And then math, so that you could handle everyday affairs. So when you go down the market and you give them uh, your chicken for four pounds of rice, you don't get cheated out of it. So, you know, you know, at least fundamental math. That was the idea. So to read scripture, to be a thinker, and to be able to handle the basic things of life in a fair and just way. Now, and what our educational system was designed to produce was not scripture reading uh, free thinkers who uh, can, can handle making their way through life. No, instead it was to produce a standardized workforce. How do we, we have this industrial age that's come along. How do we provide workers that will be able to sustain this? And so uh, the second part of that, those, that was kind of a business standpoint. The other part was to provide a laboratory for social engineering. So you have, a couple of pe- you have a couple of sets of people. One, you have John Dewey, the father of the modern American educational system. He was a secular humanist and atheist and who strongly believed that the best thing that could happen to the world and the American mind was to get God the heck out of it. Yeah. And so he made no bones about it. He was a signer on the, on the Humanist Manifesto and things that people don't even learn about or hear about or even talk about anymore. The idea of man being the center of everything, uh, that's, that's 
kind of a, that, that's a very small way of looking at it. But uh, so his design was to get God out of the public sphere. Now that becomes the, the father of our modern American educational system. But, but the way that he starts that is he says, okay, so now we live in a different world. Reading, which was seen as the main focus, reading and writing, in order to get to the mind. So how do you absorb things? To be a good reader, to be a proficient reader. Right. So they taught reading by phonics. And they used something like a McGuffey reader that not only uh, used a phonetical system to learn to read so that you become a thorough reader and you learn how to adapt to word changes and all those kinds of things, uh, but it also taught moralism. So, man, you got to get rid of that. So along come the Dick and Jane books, uh, supposedly to look more like the kids' lives. Uh, maybe there's a legitimate element in that. But the bottom line is, is that you take phonics out. So now... What happens is kids, uh, you, you, the look and say method, they want you to learn how to look at a word and, and just recognize the word. And what we found is, is that after decades of that, we're really bad at reading in America. <laughs> uh, you know, if you look at if you look at the numbers of kids that are proficient in reading in the 30 in the 30 percentages, uh, you know, those kinds of things. I saw one of these, I can't remember the guy's name, so I shouldn't bring it up, but one of these uh, intellectual gurus of the day, he's the uh, he's the Asian guy that's got long white hair. Every television show goes to him, blah, blah, blah. He said that in America today, 50% of our PhD students are foreign born. <laughs> wow. There's an H-1B visa where it basically it's a it's called the genius visa. So if they, if they want to find these deep minds, uh, half of them are coming from other countries. Well, that goes back to reading. Well, that wasn't by accident. Um, Dewey said this. He said, you know, back in that day when people needed to be really thorough good readers and, and to focus on that, they needed to learn how to read and discover this stuff and to find this stuff on their own. Uh, well, now we don't need that anymore. Knowledge is so uh, self-evident out in the world. It's so easily accessible that we don't need that. What we need are people who can fill these jobs of this upcoming, of this in, this developing industrial revolution, people who will be. Now, again, this he doesn't state this so explicitly in his literature, but basically what he's doing is, is I'm going to create a mind that can be manipulated. Right. Well, on surface level, that sounds like really good, right? Oh, we're going to have all these jobs. Let's just create workers that can go. But you're right. You're creating a society of people that can be manipulated and controlled, not free thinkers, not logical people who can think for themselves. We just train them to do tasks. Right. And Dewey's philosophies are tied into the idea of pragmatism, practical. Uh, so, you know, uh, and think of, and think about this, how our mind is shaped about this. What's the most important thing about education so that you can get a good job <laughs> so that you can do a job so that you can do work. Well, that's not what education used to be. Education used to be so that you can read and know God and you can think, well, see the last thing in the world they want <laughs> is somebody to think for themselves. Cause you can't socially engineer a free thinker. Right somebody who reads the classics on their own and somebody who dives in for information and who searches and seeks things out on their own, they absolutely don't want that. What he wanted was a standardized, socially structured citizenry. Now, 
how does how how does how does a little old guy at uh, the University of Chicago and Columbia University how do, how does he manage in all the intellectual milieu how does he manage to pull that off? Well, he gets help. He gets help from what come to be known as the robber barons, and particularly John Rockefeller. Now, think about this: these guys are developing these monopolies. Sound familiar? Uh, that have this huge influence over life, and what do they need? Do they do they need competitors? Nope. Do they need people that will question? Th- no, no, they need a workforce. So here's the here's the thing: you've got this godless communist socialist uh, intellectual who wants to reshape the social fiber of America and get God out of it. And, and, and to create a socialist utopia where elites like himself direct those poor, humble, ignorant masses that are now trained to be useful, at least, to tie in with a greedy capitalist capitalist who needs a workforce that will do what he asked them to do without question. And, and he will make their life better. Now, in fairness, Rockefeller did a lot of things, brought oil prices down. He was a very charitable man at the end of his life, those kinds of things. But the Rockefeller Institute today is still involved with social engineering. Right. Uh, but those kind of things just get glossed over. So you have these two forces coming together. And again, I've gone on too long. I go on and on about this because it gets me fired up. But what you have is now, so education becomes standardized. It becomes standardized like factory production. Industrial revolution, how does it blow up? Well, somebody learns how to figure out to make a gun with interchangeable parts. And so they just make the same parts over and over. And somebody has to learn how to make those parts and all those parts slap together nicely. Then Henry Ford comes along and says, Hey, I can make a car that I can make a car that way too. So what do I need? I need workers who can who can stamp out part A over and over and over again and be satisfied doing that, who are educated to feel like that that's, I've been educated so that I can stamp part A. And now again, that's oversimplified. But you have a standardized workforce for a standardized industry, and everybody feels like they've accomplished something great. But you have these intellectuals now that are shaping the mind of society, and you have them being bought into by these robber barons, these monopolists. And they've come together nicely to create a mind in America that will go along with that. So a godless socialist, a greedy capitalist, and you have these people come together. So now, instead of having godly, free-minded thinkers, you have created a society of worldly-minded, task-minded workers. And that's what they were aiming for. Yeah. So everybody just mindlessly does the task the follows the process does and without realizing and knowing they're at the behest of the elites yeah america and think about the american dream okay so i get my education I am. I become socially engineered. By the way, that's when the idea of teaching history became started being shifted into the idea of social studies. And also, John Dewey recognized there were people of his cohorts that wanted to let's let's make this happen now. And Dewey was smart enough to go. Oh, wait a minute! If we push this too fast, I'm going to people paraphrase. Will figure it out. They'll realize what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> we got to boil the frog slowly. Right. And so, and so they kind of, do, they kind of do that and, and they, they intend from the very beginning to enact this over time. 
And so uh, Dewey engages all of this and all these things come by and in now. So we get to this point. So I get my education. I don't even realize I'm being socially engineered to view things in a certain way. Uh, but I see that I've accomplished something great because I've got the white picket fence. I've got the two story house. I've got the dog and the two and a half kids or wait, it's the two and a half cars and the two, or what, you know, so, yep. so you've got all of that. So now I've accomplished and it doesn't even occur to anybody that man, we just don't think like we used yeah, to. Right. You know, the 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 far people make fun of the rubes, right? The the intellectual elites now, the the progeny of Dewey and and their ilk. Uh they make fun of us rubes, but man, the the country boy, and I say I start getting emotional. Back in the day, the country boy that got up in the morning, took care of business, read his Bible went and sat by a stream side and thought was far had a to me had a far better way of life a far richer and fuller way of life and being able to contemplate the realities of life to be able to dream to engage with god what an incredible thing as opposed to the educated child of today who you know ha, has been let's just say it, indoctrinated with a certain societal way of looking at life. And unless there's been something to intercede like godly parents and a godly church, uh, they have been shaped, formed, and molded. And so they watch uh, a CNN newscast. There, there's no bell or whistle that goes off. Right. It's got to be true, right? It, well, not only has it got to be true, but it sounds right. Yeah. They've been groomed to believe that it sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't and they don't know history because there hasn't been history taught. There's been social sciences that they've been educated in. So so we we have this uh marshmallow mind American. How do we become uh thinkers? How do and and in the process, how do we begin to think like Christ to understand. So this is where we're at. Where are we going? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and so I say all that and people say, well, what in the world? You know, do you think the answer then is that we've got to totally redo the American educational system? Um, and you and I have talked about this. We kind of <clears throat> got going a little bit at lunch yesterday. No, that's not the answer. I right. mean, would I like to see that? Oh, that'd be great. So that edu but, yeah, so right. that education becomes focused again on actually uh, mastering reading and writing, so that you can read and write well, so that you can then engage information on your own, so that you become a thinker rather than just a regurgitator of facts. So that the people that are seen as the highest and smartest are those who are able to be creative and systematize ideas rather than those that can just regurgitate the mantras the best? Yeah, but that's not the answer. The answer is obviously Jesus Christ. And so uh, yesterday we looked at, at, at how do we get there. One is a spiritual perspective. Uh, we, we start with having the idea of looking at things in the spirit 
Now, we have to wake ourselves up to that because we, as Christians in the church, we've been groomed by and into all of this other stuff as well. So we have to intentionally, we have to make up our mind to do this. One is to have a spiritual focus, Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So to focus on that which is spiritual. Uh, I posed the question yesterday that we can ask of ourselves to say this in in, in any kind of situation, in my job, in my avocations, in my relationships, um, what is happening here that has to do with forever? Uh, because we focus very much in the what's going to happen, what's happening right now. And that's not just to be future minded, but to be eternally minded. Uh, by, the, by that, I don't mean, well, what's going to happen in my future, uh, but what is the eternal aspect of this? What does this have to do with forever? And then what is happening that I can't see with my eye or hear with my ear? What's going on in the spiritual realm? My God is at work. He said he would be. Uh, so God, tune me in. Tune my spirit in to what you're doing in spiritually. Those are very intentional things. There is a world out there that I can't touch with my hands. I have to touch it with my heart. And so I ask God, what what does this have to do with forever? And, and what's going on here that I can't? It's not tangible, uh, at least not uh, in a fleshly kind of sense. Uh, second part then is in an intentional direction of doing that. I mentioned last yesterday, Colossians three, it says to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, that's that's an that's a verb to set my mind. Now, why do I need to do that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, and as I mentioned in the sermon, there's this idea for us in our flesh to not retain God. There's that active thing of the flesh to push out the things of God. So I have to then set my mind, uh, you know, uh, think of it as to concretize something. If I if I dig a hole in the dirt, if I'm going to make a basketball, if I'm going to set up a basketball goal and I dig a hole in the dirt and I just put this big heavy metal pole down in the dirt uh, and then it's 10 feet up in the air, well, over time it's going to sway, go crooked, it's going to get out of line. But if I really want to set it, I concretize it. I set that thing. And so we're supposed to set our minds. One time like a basketball goal? No, every day. Yeah. So our natural, so we've got this, this, uh, we've been indoctrinated. Um, We've got this evil mind. We still battle our flesh. So this is, so our tendency, if we're not careful, would be to turn our minds off of the things of God and how God views things. So this this needs to become uh, a regular, daily, intentional. And you know what? It's probably freeing to understand that that our natural tendency would be not to do that. So sometimes as Christians, we can beat ourselves up by, you know, finding that uh, maybe we've gotten apathetic, but that's the natural. That's not the natural thing to do. We've got to be intentional, uh, daily intentional, setting our minds on the things of God and pursuing him and how he views things. Right. Exactly right. And, and, and I will add this to that. That comes as a natural part of a love relationship. 
you know, the reason that I do things for somebody I love, my, my natural tendency is to make sure that I'm clothed and fed and and, right. and safe and all that. But then when I love somebody, uh, it, it's natural for me to be intentional about the way I dress them. Spending time with them. Yeah. It, viewing them. Speaking to them. Exactly. And, you know, so you so you do that. Well, intentionally, I have to set my mind. I, I have to do that. Love for God motivates me, reminds me to do yeah. it. And then I and then I actually carry through and do it. Uh, then there's also the, the culmination of all that is the divine imitation in Philippians chapter two, the, uh, verses five through eight. It's about the mind of Christ. This is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and, and then we most of us are familiar with all of that. So let this mind, the mind of Christ, this self-sacrificing mind, let that be in you. So it is now we come back to a very rudimentary idea, don't we? The setting aside of self to intentionally focus my mind on things that are bigger picture than here on this earth, understanding that the things on this earth are means to accomplish those bigger picture things. They're not ends in themselves. And I have this spiritual perspective. So now all of those things, all these ideas of society, they're supposed to leave God out. Uh, and all of these things that are focused to make me just kind of march in line with the rest of everybody else and to, and to be able to be malleable uh, intellectually and even in the in the living out of my life. Now, all of that set aside and, and awaken to the idea that there's a spiritual dynamic that I'm called to. And I'm supposed to have this mind of Christ who came to seek and to save the lost and that his name might be glorified in the earth. Okay. I think this is going to kind of go full circle. So we started out talking about reading. So how do we get this mind of Christ that we're going to set ourselves intentionally on pursuing? Very good. You're the man. <laughs> I That's wasn't kind even, of a lie. I wasn't even. I wasn't even thinking about getting back to that. I, that it's totally. Yeah. That you. Bingo. Uh, to read and engage with the Word. We talked about last time. Uh, the idea of reading through the Bible in a year. And man, I'm loving that. By the way, why. I went and got me one. Did I'm you? digging it too. All right. Isn't that, isn't that just really yeah. cool? Just, you know, 20 extra minutes of, yeah. of reading the Word other than what you were doing or we were doing before. And there's just something that's, uh, that's just really beautiful about that. You can't replace it, the reading of the Word. Uh, and that is what kind of ties us into the character and the heart of God and to see the vision, his passion, and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, thankfully, even with the look-say whole language methods, people can learn to read. Uh, the devil was not able to stop that. Uh, you know, the phonetical system, again, there's debates over which of those is better, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. If you can read, to read the word. If you can't read, and I want to be very sensitive to that. There yeah. are there are people who struggle to do that. Here's another praise God. The Bible is available on audio. Uh, you know, we've had people in our church who, uh, in their older years, have had vision problems, uh, and and they've testified that as a family they sit down together and and a member of their family that doesn't have vision problems, they read the Bible out loud. Wow, <laughs> that is really cool, uh, dads. Uh, this is a big kick of mine, and y'all will hear this if you stay with this podcast because I'll mention it over and over. Dads, there's no excuse. Read the Word of God to your family. every and, and When? Every single day. Read the Word of God to your family. 
you know, that's that's a non-negotiable. So it is. It's yeah. reading. So and I and and I I think this is really important to reiterate. Why is it so important to read the Bible? Because that's God's word. We use that phrase a lot, God's word and that kind of thing, and we kind of miss the point of it. It's God's words speaking to you and I. Yeah. It's God speaking to us, and it's God uh, describing who he is and revealing himself to us. We want to know God? Yeah. Let him speak to you. Let him speak to us. I don't know if you want to add to that. No, there's, I mean, that's well said. I mean, that's, isn't that an incredible thing? Well, that's an amazing thing that the God, the creator of the universe, who created us in his image, wants to reveal himself to us, who he really is. And he's done it through this amazing, miraculous, we could do a podcast on this, the the Bible, what we have is the Bible, this amazing book, how he has revealed himself through his very own words to us, who he is. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will add that was you were saying that I thought about um, because, you know, I, I, I always maybe I've got a little bit of Paul. I shouldn't even say this of Paul. In me. <laughs> I don't I don't compare to Paul in any way or compare myself, except to say I'm the chief of sinners. Um, Paul would anticipate problems, you know, and so a, a problem I anticipate is people over the years that have said, um, you know, I, I read the Bible, but I don't understand it. You ever you, you've heard oh, yeah. that? Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing: you don't read it intellectually. You don't read it academically. You don't understand it intellectually or academically. Although it's it, it it helps. It's important. I'm not saying that you just read it and say, "Oh well," but it is a submissional. I just made up another word: a submissional kind of thing. When I approach the word, I am coming to the word uh, because relationally, I want to know God, and I'm submitting my life to that. That's where the spiritual understanding comes. And if you really don't understand the word, uh, one of the places to begin is, have you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Because a saved, a lost person will never understand the word beyond cognitively and academically uh, to not grasp it spiritually. That is something that comes to those who are saved. Man, I uh, I think I say this every week when we get toward the end of the podcast. We got so much more to talk. About. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, anything in closing you wanted to add? Let me add one thing. Yeah, uh, because uh, you know I I, I know a lot. I was a teacher. I was a high school teacher for five years. Uh, I did a little bit of uh, teaching adjunctively in college. I understand teaching. And I don't want anybody to ever think that I am throwing off uh, on teachers no. this this whole thing that has happened and, and this and this whole process. Let me say that what has stood in the gap of us not totally crumbling into socialism already as a country are godly, good men and women who put up with untold levels of bureaucracy and garbage and stress and strife to stand in the gap with our kids in the public schools. Yeah. And so you are loved, appreciated, cherished. Praise God for you. Uh, keep fighting the good fight and stand strong for the principles of Christ where you are because we appreciate you. Yeah, very much, very much. All right, my friend, sure do love you. It's great hanging out, talking love with you, you today. Bro. 
one of these days we're going to give Ian a microphone so he's just we not are, the yeah. silent third partner. He's over there shaking his head. Now, but <laughs> I know, I, I know, my son. He's got things to say. <laughs> Absolutely, he's a he's a good man. I don't know where he gets that. Probably from his mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, good seeing you, and good uh, we'll you. see you next time on Dead Men Talking.